So you can have the exact size of a femur, let's say, that would be printed in titanium, safe to the human, and be the exact fit that that person needs to say, yes, this is this is now going to work as their leg. Um, so, so medical applications are are growing and are kind of boundless because we can continue experimenting with what we can do with 3D printing. Mm. And and as we get into the level of detail, you can technically 3D print on the molecule level. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? My name is Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. In today's episode, I speak with Tom Delora, who is a 3D application engineer. So he works for a family-run business called CAD Dimensions, um, and they do CAD work, computer-aided design, for those of you that don't know. And th- that used to be kind of their main specialty, but more recently, and the main thing that Tom and I will talk about is they've really gotten into the world of 3D printing. And a lot of people that are into CAD have gotten into the world of 3D printing. So um, what... Tom specializes in a lot and what his company specializes in a lot is writing the programs uh, and designs that will allow 3D printers to make the things that we want them to make. Um, And if that sounds complicated, it is a little complicated. Don't worry, we won't get too into the weeds with that. More what Tom and I will talk about is just 3D printing um, from a like bigger level where we we can all kind of understand it. Tom is a fantastic teacher and he'll teach us the differences between manufacturing and 3D printing, um, the uses of 3D printing right now, how 3D printers work at all, um, the size and scale of 3D printers, what the future of 3D printing can look like, what materials we use, like anything that you can think of relating to 3D printing, Tom and I will discuss right now. So without further ado, here is 3D Printing Engineer. Tom, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best way to first learn about 3D printing is if you can compare for us traditional manufacturing with 3D printing and what traditional manufacturing is versus what 3D printing is. Yeah, so so traditional manufacturing is is always going to be subtractive. So you're going to start with a block and then you're going to start removing, either drilling through it or... Uh, drilling or milling out of it. So you're going to start with stock, which is going to be a solid piece, and then you're going to take away to get your end product. So 3D printing is the exact opposite, where you're starting with nothing and you're building up layer by layer, and you're just allowing for spaces to be where those holes have to be or or where that complex geometry is. Uh, It's all getting built up layer by layer. Okay, so in outside of people who are really into 3D printing and know that they're purchasing 3D printed things or or 3D or are 3D printing things themselves, like someone like me, if if I'm to look around my house right now, like my office, my bathroom, my kitchen, is pretty much everything in my house going to have been manufactured, even something small, like I'm looking at my little like Contigo coffee mug here on my desk and it looks like it's probably a pretty simple thing to make, but is this still manufactured? That's still subtractive manufacturing like you explained? So, so some of that stuff, like your mug, is most likely uh, 
formed out of clay and then uh, and then put into a kiln. Um, but some any anything real plastic. There's different ways of manufacturing. So if you're if you're talking metal or wood, it's going to be subtractive. Uh, if you're talking something like a, a plastic part, it, it might be um, it might be injected molded. So it would be plastic pushed into a, a mold to get that part. Um, so I guess subtractive is not the only way to manufacture, um, but it, it would be when we when we're talking about three D printed parts. Our comparison is to those subtractive methods. Okay, gotcha. Cool. Totally makes sense. Now three D printing is that a completely new thing a new concept or a lot of things i find like we think that they're kind of new now but it's really like a spin on something that we've already been doing before is it like was there already a type of additive manufacturing before 3d printing came around or this truly is like a fully new thing no so so 3d printing has been around since 1984 um so so we're now into our 33rd year of uh, of 3d printing um, so the, the methodology behind it has changed and the, and the accessibility to 3d printing has certainly changed. And, and we've seen more of a revolution about it in the past, uh, probably five, 10 years, um, where you start hearing it more in your, in your day to day, or you're seeing it more, uh, either on TV or, or online. Um, but yeah, the, the concept behind 3d printing has been around since the uh, mid eighties. Okay, cool. Gotcha. What are the things that we could do back then with 3D printing versus what are what is more modern and new about it right now? Like, what are we able to do now? So back then, the uh, the limitations were mostly material based. Um, so the the original version of 3D printing was called stereolithography um, or SLA printing, and that was using a laser to cure uh, a bath of solution. And using a UV light um, to go back and forth, pick where it needed to be solid, and then keep extruding through the uh, through the bath in order to get a part. So these parts took a while, and they were very brittle when they were uh, completed the printing. So then we we got a new technology in the later '80s uh, called fused deposition modeling or FDM. So now we're taking a a plastic, melting it down so it's liquid. Uh, or uh, pretty much allowing it to pass through a, a hot filter, almost like a, a hot glue gun, and layering uh, material uh, layer by layer. So this is starting to give us stronger parts and, and uh, pick up the speed that it is uh, producing the parts. And now today, we've, we've used these two technologies to develop more materials, develop the speed of the printer, um, and, and really get more complexity and smaller detail. But the technology itself hasn't really changed because all, all it is is a gantry axis moving X and Y and Z. Uh, so the technology behind 3D printing is, is not complex. It's just what we can put into the printer. Okay, right, right. Um, now, this is going to sound like a very naive question. Hopefully, I don't sound like a total idiot. But I mean, what is even a 3D printer? Like, what does a 3D printer look like? Like, if I, if I buy one, is it, like, the same size as my inkjet printer? Or is it, like, the size of a giant, like, Xerox printer at <laughs> FedEx Kinko's? Or what, what is it exactly? Yeah, so it, it, it depends what your application is. So I've seen printers that are 
as small as like dorm room microwaves that uh, all they they print probably about a, a six inch by six inch uh, by six inch cube. So something to that level. Uh, and then I've seen printers that are the size of offices. So you're you're now talking about a much build, bigger uh, build platform, but the same technology. So it's still that that FDM or the, the fused deposition modeling. It's just the, the the scale of the platform you're dealing with. And if we take it one step further to outside of the commercial realm, a, a 3D printer could truly print anything. So it doesn't just have to be a plastic. Um, it could be something like a hose extruding concrete that is now 3D printing a house or walls for a for a house. Oh, damn, of course, because the concept of 3D, it's it's more of a concept than it is a thing like like right. so yeah if, if like you mentioned earlier uh, like additive manufacturing and you're adding more and more to this thing so if you had this hose with the concrete coming out and you're building this house up then yeah you're i guess you're just making it so in all of these examples and, and so this gets to a, a big part of of what you do in and like the business side of this is you need like a program to to tell this thing to build that house right or like somebody to make a design saying like build a house or build a little widget or whatever it is yeah yeah there's still certainly software behind the scenes that uh so so what we do here is we take a 3d cad model or a computer-aided design model um that has all this geometry laid out and we send that to the printer. The printer can read in that CAD file, and it really converts it into a whole bunch of triangles. And there's doing there's there's a formula behind it to say, all right, this is where I need to put material. This is where I need to put support material, which allows for the holes and the cavities. Um, but it's processing all of that on a computer inside of software. Okay. So now, if a to your example, now back to the house, yep. uh, like. If an architect were to send you some plans, could you then turn those plans into a CAD file for a 3D printer? Yeah. So uh, actually, a bunch of uh, our application engineers here um, have all modeled their house. Um, so you can certainly build walls. You can build where put windows into an assembly file for CAD. Um, and I'm staring at a, a small printed house on my desk right now. So yes, you certainly can do it. Um, I do it out of plastic, but as long as that correlation is there to say I have software that can tell me when to extrude um, concrete or, or when to put in the correct material into place, uh, as long as that translation is there, yes, you can model it and then you can send it off to the printer. God, wow. You just made me think of uh, touring my friend's architecture office about a month ago and they had a whole bunch of little miniatures obviously of the different buildings that they had uh like contracts for at the yeah. time and that just makes me think of like what a revelation 3d printing has probably been for that industry that rather than just show you know when you're securing the <laughs> deals that are like tens of millions of dollars or even someone's home you know that rather than just show them some drawings you could actually show them this perfect 3d replica of exactly like what this thing is going to be it's just got to be awesome for them when scaling this up why why is this not what we're doing for building all houses? <laughs> like, you know, like what you mentioned about having like a, it, like just a hose with some materials in it and that that could technically be a 3D printer. If that's the case, like why isn't this how we're doing all of our buildings now? Because it sounds like that would probably be 
a lot more accurate of a way to build than getting this build crew just trying to hammer things at perfect right angles using very old school techniques. Uh, yeah, so there's there's still certainly cost associated to it, um, and your finishing is never going to be as good as somebody's hands. So we can we can tell the system where to print. We can make it look as so, but. When you're doing layer by layer, you're going to get things like build lines because your first layer is going to cool, and then your second layer goes on top of it, so you have that seam between materials. Um, so perfect world, yes, this could be a solution to to maybe low-income housing or, or maybe third-world country to have, to have protection against the elements, but I, I don't see it being that that mass thing to catch on to say everyone's going to 3D printed homes. Uh, you're still definitely going to have that field for for wood and for construction. Okay, like would you be able to 3D print steel or like steel needs to get too hot or something that it's just not going to work like that? Exactly. So so steel, the property behind steel is that it is so strong as a unit where when we start talking about 3D printing, you, you have these layers. So as you're printing in metal, say, you can try to fuse it together as, as best as possible, but it's still not going to have that strength and, and the size of steel. So a steel beam is really hard to produce out of a 3D printer just based on the scale and the, and the strength of it. Yeah, and so if you did make one, it would be considered a, a weak form of steel. It wouldn't be some very strong steel that you'd be confident in making a skyscraper with or something exactly yeah uh yeah there, there's there's a lot more material property of of heating up that that iron and, and getting steel out of it okay totally makes sense um so tell us a little bit about 3d scanning because obviously that's kind of the yin to the yang of the 3d printing world is having uh a a scanner that can read something and like analyze all of its properties and and be able to then copy it and like duplicate that thing how does a 3D scanner work exactly? And, and tell us like just kind of use cases of 3D scanners in the industry. Yep. So uh, so the one that we're using as far as a scanner goes is uh, it's scanning light. So it's you're putting an object in front of this, really just a camera. <laughs> so it's a camera that's projecting light and it's collecting a whole bunch of information of where that light hits the surface of, of your part. So if you if you're say you're in an old home and a part breaks and you want to create this and you can no longer buy it online, what we can do is we can scan it. What the software will do or what the scanner will do is shine this light on it, measure the deflection of where the light's hitting the part and start to collect a cloud of points. So it's taking all this point cloud data and storing it into the scanner. You then so you might have to rotate the model a couple times. You might have to flip it upside down so you can get all the surfaces. You then take all those different point clouds and align them inside of software. So you get all these points to line up. You make the best image you can out of that data. And we've our, our step to create this finished thing that we can send to a printer um, or to a manufacturer for that point uh, is something we call a mesh. So you take all those points all across the part and start to connect those dots to create a solid piece. And that's what the mesh is doing. That's really cool. I would imagine that you guys as 3D printers are not the only people using that sort of software then. 
No, and, and especially scanner, we, we see scanners being used for archaeology, so a, a field where it may not be safe to touch the, the thing that you're digging up or, mm. or discovering. Yeah. Uh, so you can scan it, you can see where there's where there's features that you may not be able to see with the eye, and now you can start to rotate these parts a lot around digitally without ever having to touch the the discovery. It's so funny you educating us about these things. I feel like it's such a good glimpse into sort of the future that we are now living in where I I have a phone, right? And it's like, technically, it's still a phone, but really, it's not anymore. It's like, it is whatever app I'm currently running. It, it is whatever I want it to be at the scope of whatever app somebody makes. And and. You know, when you hear a 3D printer, the word like printer stands out. So you think like, OK, like, like how I asked, like, well, what actually is this? And right. all and you, like the first one that you said was like, OK, it could be anything from like a little microwave looking thing. And it's like, I think that's what most people would picture. Right. It's like, OK, I, so it's a printer. So I, I'm envisioning a box and it's going to pop something out and it's going to print something. And same thing with scanner. It's like, OK, I'm envisioning like this thing that I'm going to put it in. Another microwave like box, you know, and I'm going to like <laughs> scan my device and it's going to be like, ding, and I'm done and it's scanned my device. And yet it's not. It's more just nah. software. And then it's whatever you want it to be like. You're like, OK, then you're just going to use a regular camera. The thing that makes it a scanner is the software. And the thing that makes a 3D printer a 3D printer is the software, not necessarily the device anymore. Right. Yeah, it's it's everything is coming from this system that's telling it what to do and how to do it. So that's there's always going to be software there that's going to be needed to develop those applications. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So tell us a little bit more about how the actual 3D printing works. Is uh, so let's say we're using some sort of like plastic composite material or something like that. Um, is that getting uh, heated up a whole bunch before it? comes out or is it already a liquid and then it just cools right when it comes out like wh how and then and then i guess how long does this whole process take of making something yep so uh there's there's two types of 3d printing so the the fuse deposition modeling that i was talking about earlier is your more traditional where you have a a very hot extruder head that is pushing through solid plastic making it liquid just in the head, and that's what's extruding down onto a platform. So this, it's almost like weed whacker line is the best way I can describe what the plastic actually looks like. And it's just a spool of plastic that as it gets heated, it, it keeps pushing through the head, and it will follow the path in X and Y based on the software. When you say X and Y, you mean like axes, so like sorry, horizontal yeah, and vertical. Uh, yeah talking engineer yes uh, <laughs> yes so, so yep uh left right back forth um back forward um so in those two axes and it's almost that, like i'm picturing almost like a hot glue gun then it's like you have this hot piece of thing it's like 100 a hot glue gun yeah okay <laughs> it's a very it's a very technical hot glue gun but yes that is the best analogy for it okay um so yeah it'll it'll make a pass um for the first layer and then what happens, the, the build tray will drop down in the Z-axis now. So now we're going up and down. So the, the printer head itself only is moving in that X and Y, and then the tray is moving in the Z, and it's building this up layer by layer and just keeps heating up the plastic and adhering it to the previous layer of plastic. So that's making a connection, and it's making a solid part. So that's really interesting. It, it occurs to me that it would be 
safer, better, more accurate to have the build tray move in the Z axis and not have the uh, printer head doing it. Is that the reason, though, or is there some other reason that I'm not thinking about as to why it's the the tray moving and not the printer head? Yeah, uh, mostly for accuracy. That once that once that printer head is calibrated, um, it, it's always knows where its zero zero is. It becomes a little bit more difficult to always know where zero 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 is yeah. if you, if you in, include that third dimension. Good point. But with that said, there there are technologies coming that the printer head is moving in the Z and X axis and the tray is moving in the Y. And this allows you to really print on a conveyor belt, which would go on forever. So you're, you're pretty limited to your Z axis where you're going to hit the ceiling or you're going to hit the top of the printer. But if you start moving in your, in your X or your Y, you can now put it onto a conveyor belt and print and print and print and now your limitation is the the size of a of a room or the size of you're in an airport hangar. You can have a, a printed part that large. Wow. Yeah. So however wide your conveyor belt was, that's how wide your thing could be that you were making. Exactly. Wow. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you mentioned that that's how w- one of the types of 3D printers are. What is the other type? Yep. So we, there's also a, a polyjet printer. And what that's doing is it's extruding a um, a photopolymer, so so almost think like your uh, like your inkjet printer. So it's going to spit ink onto a platform, still moving in the x and y, but it's going to uh, spit ink down, and then it's going to cure it with a UV light. So it it um, lost that word. Sorry. So it uh, so it extrudes this this photopolymer. And then it cures it with a passive UV light to make it solid. And the same same type of technology that it's moving X, Y, and the, and the tray is lowering in the Z. But instead of having that hot glue gun type application, this is now releasing the photopolymer and curing it with a UV light. Okay, that now that reminds me of when I was a kid and I would go to the dentist and I had cavities. When they would fill it, then they would shoot some light beam at it, and they would have to do that for like twenty seconds, and then it'd be like, okay, it's you know, it, it's, it's truly solid yeah. now, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's curing what that material was, and it requires the UV light to do that. Okay, gotcha. Cool, man. So, um, so, so those parts, though, those uh, polyjet parts, you get a lot more resolution on them. So, with your FDM, you're going to have build lines because it's the plastic going on top of other plastic. With the polyjet, it's very it's it's a liquid that is being cured, so you don't really see those build lines anymore because it's liquid curing. It's it's a lot thinner resolution or a lot smaller resolution, so you get a lot more detail and a lot more complexity out of those parts. Now, what kind of detail and resolution are we talking with three D printing for for either one? Like, how detailed can something get with three D printing? Um, and I, I imagine that this probably changes depending on like the cost of your 3D printer and all that sort of stuff. But so maybe give us an example of what like a, a hobbyist 3D printer, like one that I could purchase w- would sort of be capable of doing. And then what a really professional grade 3D printer would do. Yep. So, so your hobbyist, you're going to be looking at 12 to 14 thousandths of an inch. So still very small, um, but that's that's your higher end for resolution. Um, where some of your production ones would get you down to about three thousandths of an inch um, for your your layer thickness. Wow, 
Those are both. I mean, so both of them is going to be. Yeah. I mean, so for most things that anyone else is going that most people are going to care about, either one is going to be fine for you. But I guess if you're if you're truly using the device for, um, I don't know, I'm thinking like, let's say you were making like a mug or something. I mean, a mug's fairly easy, but it's like, let's say you were making something that needed to hold liquid. It's like, well, there better not be a, like the, you know, it, all these seals need to be very tight on something that's going to hold liquid or something, you know? So I guess Correct. things like that, it really, ma- or f- clearly printing a house, it, you know, these things need to <laughs> right. be very precise. Unless you want some draft. Yeah. And, and honestly, any type of 3D printing is still going to be porous. So, so you're going to need to cure it in, inside of some material that would make it no longer porous. Um, so a cup is actually tough to 3D print because, one, our our uh, plastics could be toxic if you're ingesting them, mm. and two, it would still be porous, so you would have a, a leaky mug until you dipped it into some sort of finish, um, finished polymer. Okay, okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about those materials. What are the materials currently that are most commonly used for 3D printing? So materials, mostly for your hobbyist uh, type machines, are going to be forms of thermoplastic. Um, so either an ABS or a, or a PLA type plastic that, that are really just different materials. Um, the, the PLA is kind of interesting because it is a renewable uh, material. Uh, it's made from cornstarch, so there's a, there's a lot more value in that um, hmm. just because plastic uh, tends to fill up a landfill. So having something renewable is good. Yeah. Um, and then on our polyjet, we're, we're going to have those photopolymers that get eject or uh, get released onto the machine. And those are those, depending on the, the mixture of the materials you're using, uh, you can start to get different textures. Um, so you can get something that's transparent or you can get something that's going to be more rubber like. So you can actually feel something bend or squish um, or flex uh, with some of those rubber-like materials. And then the the final material that we're seeing in our commercial 3D printers is metal. So taking metal, melting it down. uh, Actually, it's taking plastic with metal infused, melting it down, um, and then sintering it together inside of a furnace to, to get it all solid. Whoa. That's awesome. Yeah, that one's exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. They're so, all exciting. I take that back. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> let's delve a little bit deeper into the time things are going to be taking with 83D printers. So if I wanted to, let's say as, as a hobbyist, I, I wanted to make myself a doorknob. Uh, like how long would it take to make a doorknob? And yep. uh and I guess maybe just give us a couple of examples of, of different times for uh, for uh, different qualities. And then maybe tell us something really like uh, uh, doorknobs, like trying to be like in the middle size wise. Tell us if right. you wanted to print little knickknack that was super small, like how long that would take. And then if you wanted to make something pretty freaking big, like how long that <laughs> certainly. So so each of those, regardless of, I guess, dependent on size, uh, the, the time it takes to 3D print is going to depend on a couple factors. Um, so the layer thickness that we talked about, if you want something that's got a real low resolution, um, so the the thicker the material is for a low resolution, it's going to be a quicker build. The higher resolution or the, or the smaller the layer size, it's going to take more passes in the Z-axis, so it's going to take a lot longer to build that part. 
Right. Um, so layer thickness counts uh, the size of your model. So so your door doorknob, if we if we call it a a three inch by three inch by three inch sphere, we'll say for your doorknob, um, we we have a couple options of how we want to print that. Do we want to print that as a solid sphere? So is everything going to have material internal to that doorknob, or can we say the guts of this doorknob or the, or the inside of the sphere aren't really necessary? We can print that with some sparse filling so we can have gaps inside of the the inside that will allow the doorknob to be a little bit lighter um but it would actually increase the speed time because of it's not laying down material everywhere it's creating a pattern inside to give it the same outside but it's actually more of a hollow part now right so depending on what we want to do there um it's typically a a three by three by three solid part would take about seven hours to build. And if you do it in sparse, where it's going to be more hollow, we can knock that down to about two hours. But it's still not going to say, my doorknob broke, I'm going to hit print and have one in 10 minutes. Uh, the speed is not there for this technology. Is that possible in the future? Or is that it like just the way that these things, are? it's like the speed of light. It's just, it ain't happening, you know? Like- <laughs> Um, I, I, we see those times going down. So, so yes, I, I see the, the speed becoming dependent on the software that's extruding the material. So if there's a smarter way to put down the material onto the platform, or we can use a different motor to, to move the X and Y, I can see speed being, um, impacted there. Um, it's, it's still going to be tricky to say this is. I guess, I guess I don't know the answer to the the top speed that we'll ever see. I wonder if there's uh, potential, and clearly your speculation would be a million times better than mine, if there's potential for a completely new polymer or a new technology or whatever, because I'm thinking of like an inkjet to a laser jet printer. You know, like inkjets yep. can only get so fast. And then if you go to a place like Kinko's or, you know, you happen to have a laser jet printer at your house, it literally is just like, spooling the paper it it comes out at the exact same speed as the spool can even go you know and i don't know what the technology is inside of a laser printer you probably do but it's like whatever is happening with the laser it's just like it's there it's just on the page as the page is coming out so i wonder if something like that could one day happen for 3d printing where everything that's happened thus far in the 3d printing world has been quote unquote inkjet level technology. And all of a sudden someone's going to be like, Oh no, here you go. Here's like laser jet level technology. Uh, I, I fully believe that will happen. I have not seen that product come out, but anything with technology, somebody's going to find a faster, cheaper, better way to do what's currently being done. So timeline, I don't know Uh, who's developing it. I don't know, but Yes, uh, there's always going to be that progression of technology. Yeah. The yeah. the hard thing to overcome is this has been the technology for 30 years. So we've seen improvements in material, uh we've seen improvements in deliverable, so so how we create this 3D printer. Um but that speed we haven't really seen a a big jump in in productivity. Yeah, it's hard until something gets super mainstream like everyone needs to use it all the time you know and then there's so much money in it that you know brilliant people start to try to make advances i guess do you see do you see that changing right now do you see a lot more people 
uh, using your services and talking about 3D print. I mean, we're talking about it right now, so I guess so. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing we're seeing the market a, a lot more consumer um, or hobbyist level printers starting to pop up. So so people are understanding the technology now and able to produce something as their own product. Um, we're also getting calls at our, our work to say. Hey, I, I found this part. It was broken. Can can you guys scan it and print it for us? Or we've gotten this from a uh, from a vendor, and they can't tell us what's in it. But we need a critical dimension. Can you scan it? And can we get a a, a print of our critical dimensions or, or these pieces? Um, so we're definitely seeing it because it's becoming more of common day speech to say, yeah, let's just three D print this, or, or can you three D print it? Right, right. That's great. Love to hear that. So let's talk about the hobby and personal side of this, because this strikes me as something that sounds pretty freaking fun and awesome. So first of all, on just a personal level, is it useful to have a 3D printer in the house? I I would imagine like if I got myself a 3D printer that anytime anything broke in my house from that point forward, I'd always try to like 3D print like like the the doorknob example. I'd be like. I'm just going to print myself a doorknob. I'm not going to go to Home Depot or whatever, you know. Is it going to be much more expensive for me to print my own doorknob as opposed to, uh, you know, going and buying one from Home Depot? And is that really possible to just start printing a whole bunch of your own crap for your house? Yes. Uh, so so currently it, w- it would be more expensive. But the way I see this coming is if you or if everybody now has a 3D printer in their home, Home Depot can sell you the CAD file to print that at your home. So you still need that that physical or that that CAD model to say this is what the printer is going to print. Um, but once you have that, yes, you could certainly sit there and say this is what I need uh, as a part. Um, so I, I see it, and I don't I don't know if I'm alone in this, but but I, I actually do see that. Kids will start learning how to 3D print. You'll see 3D printers in libraries, and they're going to go there and print their own toys. Uh, they're going to print their own widgets that they need, and that will grow with the generation to say, hey, we can design and print our own things as we need them. Yeah, totally. We live in this world now where people love to have customized stuff. It, it would right. just, I mean, it makes so much sense that if you had your 3D printer, it's like you now basically have an unlimited amount of customized stuff that you can make as long as it fits in your home 3D printer. I so right. you you bring up the 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 uh like games piece and and other hobbies and gaming and stuff. I would imagine that 3D printing has to have like an awesome sort of community online that it's <laughs> got to be really cool if let's say you're really into um like old World War 1 planes or World War 2 planes and what you used to do is you used to go and like buy those plastic planes and like paint them and put the little things on them and stuff like that. But now it's like you can get like a CAD file for one and then print it out yourself and, and like, you're, you know, take your hobby to such another level because you might not know how to make CAD files like that. But I don't know. I just think about the way that communities start to proliferate online and people love oh, yeah. like helping each other out, you know, and like putting stuff out there on the Internet and seeing other people build it and stuff. Even the doorknob example, you said like, well, Home Depot could sell that. It's like, yeah, that's true. But I'm sure that there's already probably a ton of people <laughs> online. They're like, here's my doorknob. Check it out. Yep. You know, like see if yeah, you want to make it o- open source everything. Yeah. Um, so one community that we actually st- see this being used um, to their benefit is for drones. 
So they're sharing their models or their additions to what they can print for these drones that they're now flying and they have competitions. And during these competitions, they're trying to develop the best model to say, I can use a drone to save somebody or I can use a drone to fly fast and retrieve this object. So your commercial one or your out-of-the-box drone isn't going to have these attachments. So we see this community that's saying, hey, let's we can combine 3D printing with our with our hobby and I can start to print an attachment. I can put a camera onto this now and I can print the attachment for that. So it's this very customizable piece to commercial products or even like for our company, we've, we printed our own drone to say, yes, we can. We have all the technology here to other than the, the motor to spin the propeller, but the, the legs, the harness, the, uh, the camera spot, we can print all these objects, put them together um, and have our own customizable drone. So we will see websites that are dedicated to 3D printing drones that they share their information, share their thoughts. They love to share their successes as well as their failures to yeah. say, look at what I did and, and you can try this too. It's, it's a very open community to to sharing that information. That's awesome. And I mean, that's some like next level stuff. That's uh, A, hobby-wise awesome, but B, I mean, these are people that now can potentially be entrepreneurs. Like if they come up yeah. with some great idea they now already have a working example of what this thing is versus, you know, 20, 30 years ago, like how the hell are you going to get a model of this thing that you're talking about? You know, like yeah. you're, you're just trying, you're just showing people like on a, a freaking whiteboard with some markers, <laughs> like, Hey, it's going to kind of be like this. And now they're actually making the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Taking that napkin sketch to, to the whole <laughs> next level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. And man, on the on, so I would love to know how much a three D printer is like the the cheapest one that you can get for yourself because I, I like I love to play board games and stuff and I'm just thinking of how freaking awesome it would be <laughs> to have like your like if let's say you're playing even a game like Monopoly like rather than just being like the boot or the hat it's like you're like mini Blake and you're like just marching around the board yourself or something you know. Yeah, so so you can start to see these printers that they're popping up in Staples and Home Depot. You can see them, um, and you'll find them for really about six hundred under under a thousand dollars, and that's going to be your baseline. You'll you'll get a a low resolution print job, but you could make a part um, for where we're in in the the industry or, or more of the commercial field. Um, you're starting to look at something maybe between. Uh, 12,000 up to a quarter million dollars for some of the high-end production units. Um, and then on the, the biggest scale, so something that's going to, like maybe that infinite print I was talking about, you're now, you're now pushing a million dollars for the equipment, but it's giving you that flexibility to say, I can print any size I need, um, and it's going to be at the best resolution. Yeah, right, right. Well, so then... Let's say that is out of someone's price range. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I'm putting I'm going to be putting this episode out probably a little bit after like Christmas Hanukkah. So if you just got a whole bunch of cash, you know, you, now you know yeah. where to spend it. But let's say that's still a little bit out of someone's price range. There are companies like yours, as you said, that if 
that you know that you help people by you guys have 3d printers like you can print their stuff out like would you do that for somebody if they had something goofy like just some game board pieces that they wanted to print out or something and and what would something like that (laughs) run like if somebody wanted you know they sent you the files and you needed to print those out for them yeah so so the way we do it it's it depends on what they're coming to us with so if, if somebody comes to cad dimensions and says here's my napkin sketch we're now going to say, all right, we have to model this in CAD. We have to get your approval to say, yes, this is what I want. And then we're going to send it to the printer. Uh, if it's something that they have a model of and say, hey, I would like a, a prototype of this or a, a version of this, then all we're dealing with is is the material cost that it takes for us to print that. Um, so we have, we have the various technologies in-house um, at our office. So it's just a matter of saying, what what level of detail do you need? Uh, what is it going to be used for? And what what where do you need us? If, if you need us to make the CAD, that's a different price. If, if you need us just the print and you can send us the file, we, we got a pretty good algorithm to, to figure out what that costs. Now, if we, let's say you do not need a the CAD, like you already have the CAD file, you're like totally set, you just need the thing. Is something the size of like a game board piece, is it's... Is, is 3D printing it going to make it kind of like prohibitively expensive? Is it going to be like a hundred bucks to print out a little like one inch guy? Or is it going to be like 25 bucks or something if you wanted some custom people? Yeah. So, so smaller, the, the one inch custom part. Yeah. You're looking 25, $40 for in, the, in that price range. As you kind of step up to a couple inches and, and more detail, then you start talking a hundred dollars per part. Okay, cool. But when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, there is no cost too high to have no, your own custom not. pieces. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yes, because then you can put whatever details you want into those pieces. Yeah, totally, man. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's start to wind this thing down here, Tom. I would love to know about uh, sort of the current and future potential of 3D printing. What currently are the most amazing things that you think 3d printing can do and then in the future what do you think will be like the future of 3d printing yeah uh so so currently the the piece that i'm interested in or that i i like to research is for medical so using 3d printing in the for medical applications so we've uh, we've worked with a program that can print prosthesis, so like a, a replacement hand for somebody that lost their hand or or was born without one. Yes, that's so cool. Um, so you're printing something that's going to fit their arm, um, which is going to be an exact fit because you're going to have the dimensions of their arm, or you might scan their arm to say this is how it's going to connect. Um, I've seen it being used where a um, a patient's head can be scanned, a pretty much the cranium can be printed, and a doctor can practice on that printed head to say, all right, this is where we're going to make the incision, this is how much we have to remove, and they can do that all without the patient being there, do a practice run or two to say, all right, we're happy with how this surgery is going to work, and then go ahead and do it on the on the patient. And then to take it to the, the furthest step is we can now print out a titanium bone that is going to go into somebody. So you can have the exact size of a femur, let's say, that would be printed in titanium, safe to the human, and be the exact fit that that person needs. 
to say, yes, this is this is now going to work as their leg. Um, so so medical applications are are growing and are kind of boundless because we can continue experimenting with what we can do with 3D printing. Mm. And and as we get into the level of detail, you can technically 3D print on the molecule level. That's so what start... I was going to ask. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So now you can start to manipulate molecules to say this is what we need to grow or, or our material for the 3D printer can be stem cells and they're going to be printed to react to whatever part of the body you're putting them into or, or, you're, or you're aligning them to do. Right. So no longer do you need a titanium bone. We're just going to print you a bone with like right. with bone matter. <laughs> and you, that's what yeah, you're going to yeah. get. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're going to take bone marrow and put it into our printer and, and get out. I, I don't know if that's possible. But yes, that that's kind of the future to say what a 3D printer is only limited to the material that you're putting into it. So we we can perfect the material to say this will replicate skin or this will replicate bone. Yeah, the the technology of moving X, Y, and Z isn't isn't going to change, but what you put through that that uh, head is gonna is really going to impact the any any industry you can think of. Yeah. Now, not to uh, I should have asked this question first. Dang it! But so not to end on a totally <laughs> negative note. But is there anything that three D printing will never be able to do? Um, currently our limitations are the, the speed and the size of what you're doing with it. Um, I don't know what the limitations will be in the future. Um, so we, we talked about being able to scale this up to say, I am going to put a hose between cranes and that's going to be my X, Y, and my hose is going to pour concrete and build a house. We can talk about using a very small cantilever arm to say, this is now my my uh, uh, head of the part, and I'm going to extrude molecules into a formation. Um, the, the scale is going to determine what the future brings. So somebody creative is going to say, hey, I, I think I can do this, and 3D printing will be an application to allow them to do that. So not to end on a positive note, I, I really think it is, it's a boundless technology, um, just kind of waiting for people to discover it. Let me ask you a direct question. Do you think we could ever 3D print food, like a la Star Trek? Like, do you think that you could <laughs> arrange molecules in such a way that an apple comes out or something? So, so we are currently printing food, but it's more we're melting down chocolate and extruding that. And making add. more chocolate. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's very fancy chocolate now. Um, yeah, so being able to take that genetic makeup of fruit or of food um, is probably going to be a little bit more difficult, but I'm not counting it out. <laughs> I love that. So there is no, there's no definite no. That's so great. Yeah. Cool, man. All right, Tom. So if we wanted to learn more about this after this episode, um, where do you think we should go? If we wanted to like kind of get more into this as a hobbyist or something, where should we be going? Yeah, so so you can check out uh, our website is uh, just caddimensions.com and I'll send it over to you to, to look at it. And that will go through the different technologies I talked about. So the, the FDM, the polyjet, the metals, even the scanners, all those types of technologies we have on our website. 
Um, and as you get more involved with it, there are communities out there for the CAD models or for the, the printed part models. Um, things like Thingiverse and GrabCAD um, will give you some files that you can download, and that's, that's the community aspect of it. Um, but yeah, really any, any article you can find on 3D printing will give you a little bit more insight to it. And that's that's the fun part is as you as you explore what the technology can do, you, you start to realize, hey, I didn't know it was in this industry or I didn't know it had this application. Um, so there's always there's always that endless possibility of, of getting into a, a wormhole of information, which is the best type of wormhole to get into, yeah. in my opinion. Exactly. Uh, Tom, this has been so awesome, man. And so for everyone listening, um, Tom has actually already sent me over links to a lot of these different uh, things that he just mentioned and his own company um, and some some other stuff in addition to that. So I'll obviously put all these things up on the post on Half Hour Intern for this episode. So if you want to learn some more about this, then definitely check that out. And uh, Tom, man, this has been so interesting. We really appreciate you coming on the show. No, thanks for having me, Blake. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, Just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.